The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. Edward Bernays from the book Propaganda in 1928. Much has changed over the last few years, some very erratic and unexpected shifts in perception. For a time, it seemed as though progress was being made. People were discussing topics that were only once whispered in dark corners for fear of being cast out from their circles, deemed a theorizer of conspiracies. But just as quickly as these topics were brought to light, Americans were bedazzled by the anti-establishment candidates of the 2016 election. And even many preaching the evils of the current system were once again woven back into the fold of the two-party paradigm allowing them to think they had finally won, not realizing they had fallen victim to the classic Bernaysian manipulation that once fooled the past generations, who were balked at for their naivety by those now emphatically cheering for the state. Was this all part of the plan? Were we led to believe that long-told lies were finally being exposed only to lull the masses back into a state of subservience and blind patriotism? How would that even be done? What type of massive control structure would be needed to execute such a manipulation? Is that even possible? Here to discuss this and much more is James Corbett of thecorbettreport.com. Welcome to the show, James. Well, thank you for having me on. And from that introduction, it's going to be one hell of a conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. I always enjoy speaking with you. Well, so it is a pretty broad conversation. I mean, you know, conditioning, propaganda, manufactured consent, the PSYOP, the false flag, all terms related to the subject that are that many are afraid to think about. And in many cases, I would say unable to think about as it opens the mind up to the possibility that what we think, what we feel, the very actions we take might not be our own, and that's social engineering. So before we get into specifics, you know, you've done extensive work on this subject. So for those new to the concept, what exactly is social programming or social engineering, and what's a good real-world example? Well, I want to start actually where you started, because you bring up Bernays 1928 and the opening passage of Propaganda, which is available for free online. So please do go read that book. It is surprisingly relevant for a book that is approaching 100 years old. And I think Bernays hits the nail precisely on the head when he points out that it is the, uh, the manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of society that is really the, the hidden ruling power. Uh, over by which the, the population is controlled and railroaded along this or that path. And think about that, the organized habits and opinions of society. What he is hit, hinting on, uh, uh, at there is essentially what we would in our current era analogize as the hardware and the software of the, our social processes. Uh, the hardware, of course, our organized habits are increasingly all centered around our handy-dandy little fondle slab. And we all have seen the videos and the images of people, you know, engrossed in their smartphone as they're walking around, walking into lampposts or walking off cliffs or whatever it is. Uh, literal, literal zombies walking around right now that are so engaged in their phone. Uh, and the software side of it, the opinions that uh, are then, that become part of us through this, these habits we have of constantly checking our social media feeds or what have you, the opinions that we gain from that are essentially weaponized information and they are specifically designed, engineered, calculated to keep you 
engrossed, to keep you clicking, to keep you swiping all day, every day, 24-7 if need be, to give you that little dopamine hit. Oh, there's a new post. Oh, there's a new comment. Oh, there's a new like. Ooh. Oh, look at that notification. Notification. I better check. I better check. I better check. Um, the It's now coming out, the founders of these various social media platforms uh, large numbers of them, actually, perhaps most notably in recent months, Sean Parker, uh, Facebook, was admitting, yeah, we, the developers, were actually trying to design this to be as addictive as possible, and we succeeded. And that's precisely why so many of these founders and developers of these different social media platforms are saying they're going off social media. They don't use it. They don't put it anywhere near their children because they know what it can do to your brain. And one of the worst parts of this is it's not just the literal physical addiction. I mean, it's like a cocaine rush or whatever that you get the dopamine hit you get from the new notifications on your on your fondle slab. It's the way that the, that information is then presented to you. In the social media space, there is only one rule, and that is provoke as much outrage as possible. Now, that could be literally baiting people, enticing them into hate clicking on something, or it could be, uh, from the other perspective, validating your own opinions. Look, let's hate on, you know, those damn leftists or those damn rightists or whatever, you know, the hate group of your choice would be. Uh, either way, it's, you must be outraged enough to want to click on something. And because that is now becoming the default way that we are being presented with information, constantly in this 24-7 never-ending social media stream, we are being engineered, programmed to be constantly at war in our minds with these imaginary windmills that we're constantly tilting at on social media all day, every day. This is becoming, I mean, even five years ago, that would have sounded kind of outlandish. Is there anyone in the audience today who does not see this in their life and see it playing out even in their own personal experience? I'm not accepted from this. You're not accepted from this. Absolutely no one listening to this conversation right now is accepted from this. We are all being put into this indoctrination system. And how the hell do we put the brakes on it, I think, is the number one question facing us right now. Because if we do not learn how to put the brakes on this outrage machine and start having real conversations with actual human beings, treating them as human beings, individuals, rather than the hate group of choice. You don't believe this, therefore I hate you. If we don't relearn how to treat people as human beings, game over. The social engineers win. Yeah, so very true. It's divide and conquer is such a broad way to put it, but it's it's so, like you said, it's so very apparent in just about every every direction you look today. You can see people being divided based on cultural, racial, you know, political lines all across the board. It's, it's quite astounding when you really take a step back, like you said, and think back just a very short period of time ago to now. It's, I mean, it's always been there, but it's, it's been really intensified. I wanted to note, I, first of all, I love the, the fondle slab. <laughs> I think that's a, a great term. It's, it, you've noted on the idea of dopamine, and I think that's such a very important aspect as far as talking solutions. There's a great video I recommend people called uh, from Simon Sinek. Uh, the title changes every now and again. It's, you know, how to be a great leader, but he dives into the chemical aspect, the whole, uh, you know, in, endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and cortisol. And it's such an interesting idea to think about that we are literally being manipulated by people that understand how those chemical processes work. And we don't. I always found it very interesting. That's something that is absolutely not taught in school. 
but yet is so foundational for when we understand how our bodies actually work. So there's a good idea for solutions in general is learning how our bodies work and respond to these things. I find that very interesting. Uh, so incredibly important. That is absolutely foundational because that st speaks to the point that social engineering is this thing that every time we talk about it, we have to explain it because there will be people in the audience who don't even understand the concept. Meanwhile, we have at least a century of dedicated research into how best to provoke certain emotions, how best to get people to think certain things, how people react in this situation, how people react in that situation, what information they respond to, in what ways do they respond, how do they form community. The human animal is the most studied being on this planet. But we, of course, we think, oh yeah, they're doing research on you know pigs and mice and stuff. No, humans are the end goal of all of this research, always has been, and there is I mean, at the very least, I mean, more than a century, but a century of dedicated research into how best to manipulate human beings on mass scales. And this information is not just academic airy-fairy research. It is being weaponized and used against you right now. And the people who are doing it are coming out and saying, yeah, we weaponized this. We made this as addictive as possible to try to trigger all these things that we know about that you don't so that you'll keep using our product all day, every day, and now you are, ha ha ha, what you gonna do about it? And you're precisely right, it's because most people don't even understand the concept that they're being manipulated, let alone how they are being manipulated, that how are you ever gonna get out of a trap that you can't even see? So true, it, you know, it really ties in the idea of medications when you think about how that affects the brain and it makes it maybe possibly easier to manipulate you know, to jump right into a larger topic since, you know, we want to get into, there's so, I mean, really, there's so many facets of this discussion. It's so hard to get everything that's important into one show, but let's talk about something specifically today that I think is being overtly used and is more of a hands-on aspect of social programming. The whole, you know, Hegelian dialectic problem reaction solution, I would say, is applied to what's going on with the, the shooting in the Parkland shooting. So, what are your thoughts on that as far? Well, first, if, for those that may not know, would you quickly you know, dive into what the Hegelian dialectic is? And then what are your thoughts on the shooting and how that may be being used against people today? Well, I mean, the, uh, the Hegelian dialectic is often taken out of context and summarized and butchered. But the way that we understand it, I think, in our shorthand today is that there's a thesis, um, something, some idea that's been presented. It naturally from within itself has contradictions which gives rise to an antithesis an antithesis that wars with the thesis and the result of that war is a new idea that emerges from the the conflict it's a synthesis it combines the the elements of both and then that synthesis itself gives rise to an anti antithesis <laughs> i can't say that word today and then a new synthesis etc etc and in the hegelian uh, uh, idea this this is one grand process that is leading us through history towards the creation of a perfect state that will rule over everyone. That was actually his ultimate uh, idea. So, um, so, but when we apply it in the current political context, and most people are talking about it, they mean essentially there's uh, there there's an uh, an idea that exists that most people have. Um, some powers that shouldn't be want people to have a different idea. How do you get people to accept that different idea? Well, you don't just present the different idea because then people will, will, will counteract that. They'll go against it. No, what you've got to do is you've got to try to do something to smash that old idea 
And then that new idea you can present as, hey, here's the solution, guys. Here's what, what will make this all better. So if, for example, I don't know, you want to change the, uh, the, the American mindset from one that's heavily in favor of gun ownership and Second Amendment into one that's willing to abrogate those, those rights and abrogate the Constitution, uh, what can we do to do that? Well, we don't just say, you know, we're going to take away your guns because it'll be for the best. No, no, no. There has to be something, some event that will smash against that old paradigm and, hey, we'll present this as the, the new solution. So that's, that's the context in which we can understand so many of the events that are presented to us as, and look, it doesn't matter at the end of the day from the perspective of this dialectic, it doesn't matter whether that thing, that, that, that event is a real event, is a hoax event, is a false flag event, different things, by the way, uh, it, in what way this has been manipulated or staged, it's the point that whenever there is some sort of crisis point, that can be used as the opportunity, exactly as Rahm Emanuel, former White House Chief of Staff, current mayor of, current mayor of Chicago, I think he's still the mayor, uh, said several years ago famously, um, we need to use this opportunity no, I'm thinking of Gary Hart talking about the New World Order. Uh, I can't remember the phrase exactly. Um, I should be able to remember it. But he said something to the effect of uh, in, when there's a crisis, you know, you have to use that as an opportunity to do something that would have been unthinkable beforehand. That, that's what happens in politics all the time. So, again, either that crisis can be generated, uh, fake, you know, in some, in some manner, staged, manipulated, or it could just be a question of waiting for the right moment and the right time. And hey, guys, let's jump on this and use this as the excuse to forward the next agenda. And that's how it works. And it's an uh, old idea being smashed by a new idea. And, and oh, look, the solution is right here, guys. Here it is for you. Now, all you have to do is take it and everything will be easy for you once again. Yeah, I, the, the reason I apply it to this specifically is because I think there's so many aspects at play in regard to the shooting where, like you said, it, in, which it's funny you note on too, is that those, there's so many people new to this field that are kind of using these words, kind of mishmashing together, and it's getting kind of muddled. I would say that's also part of the programming to some degree is to manipulate these terms so people don't understand each other. But it's clear that whether we're talking about an event that was created, urged, or you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of buzzwords today. You get your videos censored if you say them. But, you know, the idea that the FBI has created events to then stop them is verifiable today. So whether or not that's the case, or like you said, it just happened after the fact, or even if we're talking about the long term, like I brought up medications that, you know, are ultimately manipulating these people's brains to where they're having these violent acts and then they're being, you know, jumped on and used, I think it's pretty clear that it's, it was created to some degree and now they're coming in with the solution, right, which is gun control, which is essentially what you said. I think it's, it's, so, it's so apparent to those of us that can see it playing out in front of us, but it's, it's hard to get people to wrap their minds around how that actually functions. But, but let's think of even a second level to this, because there's always multiple things that are happening with these types of things. And yes, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious, the, the Second Amendment versus the, the school shooting what will emerge, you know, how can we use this crisis to forward some sort of agenda? Of course, I, I think people in, in this audience will probably be able to see that. But how about the, the way that this can be used against the independent alternative media itself, these types of ideas and what we're talking about right now? Because think about the idea of the hoax and the crisis actors meme, which has become all prevalent in the alternative media space over the last few years. Everything that happens, it was fake, it was staged, no one died, everyone's an actor all the time. 
um, in, in the wake of every single event I've seen of any significance over the past few years, immediately. They're all actors. It's all fake. Nothing happened. Um, you know, don't believe it all. Um, which, hey, in this day and age of manipulated video and what have you, I mean, there's certainly any individual event. You, I don't think you can dismiss that possibility out of hand. But clearly, clearly, if the mainstream wanted to destroy the independent media space, they would take crazy ideas, promote them clandestinely as, oh, look, this, you know, this alternative media site is saying this, this independent media site is saying that, in order to provoke the outrage against an idea that's then proven false. So, for example, accusing people who are real human beings of being actors and then getting all of the media, all the alternative media into this space. Yeah, it's an actor, it's an actor, it's an actor, it's an actor. And then all you have to do is show, no, actually, this guy isn't an actor. It's a real human being. And you are now criticizing this person who is a real human being, has gone through this terrible tragedy. You are a heartless, despicable person. Everyone else will gang up on you and destroy you. And look, oh, he's that independent media that thinks everyone's an actor. These these operations are simultaneously happening against the alternative media itself. So we have to examine every aspect of this information, including what's coming from the independent media and things like this. I wish it was as simple as mainstream is saying this, alternative media is saying this, you know, alternative media must be right. It's never that simple. And we have to know that ideas and memes are being pushed and embedded in the independent media to be pushed to later be exposed. So in order to undermine and discredit independent media in general, which makes this I mean, there's no easy way out of it. You have to use critical thinking at all times in every single piece of information you encounter. And that's not something anyone wants to do. Let's be honest. It would be so much easier if you could turn your mind off and I'll just go to this website and listen to anything this person says forever and, you know, problem solved. It doesn't work like that. It never has. It never will. It's an uphill battle all the way forever. So <laughs> I don't, I, that's, that's not a happy thing to say. And People will tune out that message and go back to their partisan uh, ideas, whether that's partisan in the traditional political sense or partisan in the, well, this is alt media, so I trust it sense, or it's mainstream media, so I trust it sense, or whatever in that paradigm. Again, I just don't think it's that simple. Yeah, it, it's something I often say, which is funny, is that it's, you know, it's not that we're alarmist, it's that that's alarming, right? I mean, it's like, that's the point, is that yet people say that when that what you just said, essentially, that we're, you claim that, oh, we have to question everything, and they go, oh, well, that's not a way to live, and I said, well, so be it, that's the way it is today, you know, like, you can't just ignore a, a truth that's right in front of you. I, I think what we're talking about in regard to controlled opposition and within the alt media is one of the largest Issue, issues facing us today, I really do, because it's it's beneath the surface to a lot of people. They don't grasp how important it really is and how, how dangerous it really is. Because like you're saying, and I think that's a lot of what's happening in this recent event, whether you're talking about the the David, the Hague or Hogue, however his last name is, that guy or, or many of the other aspects involved here, there's a lot of, it, it makes perfect sense that that's why I said in one of the recent shows that they have our number in this one. It makes perfect sense that they would do this and they would take this event and use it, whether real or not, to, to intentionally mislead us down the wrong path. So we look the fool. And it, and I think that's honestly what's happening in a lot of ways. We've seen a lot of YouTube channels be deleted and recent shows being taken down. You know, it's, it's just, it, it perfectly lines up with exactly what they want to accomplish. And one of, one of the things that you and I have discussed in a, in a past show was the idea of what I would say is the more subtle, less invasive aspect of the social engineering. And that's 
programming disguised as solutions and truth movements, such as Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ, or the Green Movement, which we discussed in the past, sort of co-opting it to do the opposite of what it seems. So, uh, you know, how how ultimately, how would you see this being done? And what's the goal of kind of co-opting an entire movement, say, with the Green Movement? Well, I think co-opting is the key to understanding this strategy because that gets at the sense that there is a real movement of real people who really do believe in this issue or that issue. And it is a real issue in most cases. There is some kernel of something really there that is some valid thing that real human beings genuinely want or desire or want to move towards. So it's always an actual thing, an actual movement that then can be glommed onto and they can create some sort of thing and steer it in a certain direction. And I think the perfect example of that in recent years that I always go back to, because it's, to me, it's just so crystal clear, is that the kind of original early Tea Party movement before it became this GOP, you know, basically the Republican Party by another name and got taken over. Um, But the early part of the Tea Party movement was genuinely anti-establishment and was truly saying some important things about the nature of politics and its association with uh, the the crony capitalists and the bankers and all of that. There was a genuine, real point that was being made there that was surprisingly similar in many respects to the point that was part of the original part of the, the Occupy movement, again, I, before it got taken over, I know it was started by Soros money and Adbusters and all that. So, you know, to whatever extent it was authentic in the first place, but there were real human beings who really did believe in the ideas that were being presented there. You know, it's Wall Street. Look, clearly the, the bankers, the financiers have been steering politics. We have to end this. It was a, the same core message. Yeah, obviously there were some differences, but the core message was the same. But they both, both of those movements got steered off and and co-opted very quickly, taken over by the establishment that they were supposedly trying to resist against, and put back into the left-right paradigm very quickly. And that, to me, is is the nature of how these things go. It's either taking a, a genuine movement that exists and putting it right back into that paradigm, or taking a genuine movement that exists and throwing it so far off into some spectrum that, you know, two or 2% or, you know, 1% of the population could ever be on board with because it's so extreme. It's always about that, either putting it back in the system or putting it so far outside that most people won't want anything to do with it. And it can be done so easily, so effectively. And I think that has to do with the sort of centralized nature of so many of these movements. So the counter counteraction against that has to be in the opposite direction. If they're constantly trying to divide and conquer and repackage and put everything back into the old system, then clearly we need to find alliances with people who may have different ideas on other things. Yeah, they may not agree with you on everything, but they have to find those points of agreement and work towards the things that at least we can work toward. And that will mean finding that bedrock. What is the core that we value that other people also value that we can all work toward? And it may not be your ultimate package for, you know, utopia and paradise and everything you believe, but the, the core value, if there's a core value that you can at least work with other people on, that's important. And I, I, I'm thinking about this specifically because I was listening to a, uh, a recent edition of the uh, Scott Horton show where he was talking to someone from Code Pink, clearly on the you know left end of the political spectrum and uh, clearly disagreements with people on the right end of the political spectrum. But the conversation was about forming a coalition, an alliance about 
let's stop the war. You know, this is a pretty basic thing that 90 plus percent of the population would agree on if presented in the right way. I mean, so many people think this is a stupid, all these foreign wars and aggression that the U.S. is engaged in specifically in the U.S. context, just stupid imperialist nation building projects in you know, halfway around the world. What on earth? Why are we there? What on earth is the U.S. interest in Syria? So many people could get on board with that agenda, but are, again, pulled apart because, oh, well, you're on the left and you're on the right. So, you know, we can't ever work together. The, the point, of course, is about building co coalition alliances on those points. And that, I think, is the real threat to the system, which is why these new movements and things that arise, sometimes spontaneously, sometimes maybe out of, you know, devious ends or whatever, but those, those movements that draw people in out of genuine interest are so quickly co-opted and corrupted because they can't afford to have a genuine coming together of people. And we haven't really seen that kind of mass protest, mass movement in the last half century or so. You know, it was the 60s was the last time you saw mass movements and protests. The, the closest thing that I can remember in my living lifetime is 2003, the, the protests against the, the Iraq war and all of that amounted to nothing. It, the entire basis for the war exposed as a complete and total lie that was aided and abetted by the lying mainstream media. And fast forward 15 years, and now literally the entire left end of the political spectrum is now on board with, you know, everything the MSM and the CIA are telling them because, well, hey, it's against the other side. It's, it's so depressing how effective these techniques can be. Yeah, so true. It is very depressing to see it, especially when it's so blatant for those of us that are paying attention. But I think what you what you touched on a second ago, the idea of the solution there is kind of crossing those party lines and finding ways to come together beyond it. Now, that to me immediately goes to the next aspect, the the more overt aspect is essentially our, our Prussian modeled school education system, which is where the, I think that is why we're having these problems today. It's you literally can manipulate and and you know, channel an entire generation from the beginning. And I think it's so obvious. There's so, it's such overt social programming happening in our schools that's right in your face. Like it's socially accepted at this point. It's not even hidden. You know, they are being conditioned. And that I think is what's built to this problem is that we know the solution, but yet now they're already created in a way that they're never going to have that. They're so embedded with the idea of the different sides, the division that, you know, how do we ever get past that? So it's very interesting. There, there's such an important point there with such, there's documented history that needs to be known by the population behind what you're, you're talking about there that is not known nearly enough. So I'm going to direct people to something that I wrote a few years ago that I'm going to have to put back out there because, it, it, again, I think so many people have missed this. Uh, I, I wrote an article called How to Really Defeat Globalism, talking about the false narrative, the false dialectic that's been set up um, for us. It's either you're for the UN and WTO and NATO and all these centralized organizations of intergovernmental blah, 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 or you're for the nation state and everyone salute the flag and my nation right or wrong kind of thing. Uh, no, false dialectic, but they get people to believe it. Well, how? How did they engineer that? Because let's think historically. A few centuries ago, the idea of a nation state was itself kind of this new concept. Most people didn't agree with it or didn't understand it. Even it was popularized, really. You have to go back to, 
I mean, there are ante antecedents here, but um, if you go back to 19th century um, Germany and you find Johann Gottlieb Fichte, who did the addresses to the German nation um, in the wake of the, the uh, battles between the Prussian army and uh, uh, the French empire. And basically the addresses to the, uh, the German nation, Fichte was talking about the creation of this love of fatherland and uh, how to uh, govern the state and be the, uh, let the state be the supreme final and absolute authority. And he said, to attain this object, the natural freedom of the individual must, of course, be limited in many ways. And so what did he propose? What was the specific way to do this? And he said, I propose that you establish deeply and indelibly in the hearts of all by means of education, the true and all powerful love of fatherland, the conception of our people as an eternal people and as the security for our own eternity. So that this is literally an idea that was created and embedded, injected into the minds of children indoctrinated at a young enough age that they could be molded into seeing the world in this way so that you never really have to worry after that point. Yeah, they may go in different directions, but they'll always have that core kernel of understanding that you injected into their consciousness at an impressionable young age that controls the, the way they see the world. And if you can only see this part of the world, then everything else outside of that, you know, will never be explored. So you don't have to worry about it. And how did they do this? Well, that was literally the creation of the Prussian education system, which you mentioned there, that became the basis for the American education system. It was the basis for the, the Japanese education system here. It's been spread all around the world. It is the, the, every aspect of what you think of as schooling really is this Prussian education system, which was founded specifically to indoctrinate people into seeing the world in this certain way. And so you're exactly right. It, is, it goes back to the most fundamental parts of our upbringing, our childhood. Of course, that's where all of this starts. And if, again, if you could start people off in the wrong direction, looking only in one direction, and they can't see anything outside of their, their immediate view, then again, you know, you can have it's like when they limit the political debate to here's the left, here's the right, you can choose anything in between here, but if you have any idea outside of this spectrum, you know, go to, go to hell. We don't want to have anything to do with you. You're crazy. So uh, I think this is how it operates. And that's why, yes, you're exactly right. Education system, absolutely fundamental to this. And the organized habits and opinions that are then keeping the zombies in line with their, their fondle slabs is an increasingly important part of this structure. And and they keep adding, obviously, to this as the technology and as the, the understanding of human psychology grows, so too does the, 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 the ability of the state to be able to manipulate people's imaginations in this way. And it's, it's such a powerful concept, especially when you can, you know, talking about it and how long it's been going on, you can see the evolution of its effect on our society. And it's, it's powerful when you understand how much influence they have on the minds of these impressionable youth. And then you consider the next level of it, which would be kind of the predictive programming media aspect and how children are so reinforced with their electronic devices, which you keep bringing up and how every step of the way they're reinforced with the same, same mentality. And it's, it's, it's pretty alarming. And I think that that's the, the last aspect I think that just guides people through their lives is, is the media aspect. And we're seeing this, you know, you talk about movies, television, music from every possible facet, we are being, you know, reinforced with the same kind of ideas. I mean, and, that, and that's a powerful idea. And you think of how, how much that goes through everything we do on a daily basis. That's pretty profound. 
And again, I think if for people who are already in the alternative media in one sense or another, um, I think we also have to be aware about how our ideas are being shaped in these predictive programming ways, because a lot of ideas th uh, that are propounded and and I, there is some truth to them because it, I mean these are the things I talk about and but a lot of these ideas have been inserted into programming of various sorts over then now you know false flags and ideas like this are common parts of a lot of stories these days and in one sense that may be hopeful in the sense that the population I think is learning about these ideas and thinking about these concepts and thinking about well there could be subterfuge here and we have to be smarter and not so naive that's a good thing. But we also have to be conscious that, well, maybe we're being steered in a certain direction. And what's the ultimate outcome of that? And, you know, so again, I think every piece of information has to be taken on its own level. Okay, let's critically think about this. Is this true? Is this not true? How can we ascertain that? And what do we do once we determine something is true or is not true? How do we incorporate that into our worldview? It's an ongoing, never-ending process for every single person in this conversation, you, me, and everyone listening. Yeah, I've said the same thing similarly about just specifically about, like, say, the deep state term that it was shocking when all of a sudden the mainstream media was talking about it all the time or even the term regime change. And it's interesting how people don't understand how that actually works. Like, so they're, they're, they're talking about it in a way that manipulates the understanding of the term. So we'll say deep state. And then the other person who just heard it thinks something completely different than what we're trying to purvey. It's, yeah, it's they think it's, a, it's you know, liberals fighting against Trump or something. Exactly. The today, that's what it is. It's essentially anybody that's, you know, it's, it's such, it's, it's a broad term now, whereas it has a very specific meaning as we know. It's, it's very interesting. And I think it takes us to kind of the final aspect I want to touch on today, which is something that is, it's the block, the roadblock for the people that we're discussing, which is cognitive dissonance, right? You know, if you could quickly explain what that is and essentially how you would say is the best way to overcome that for somebody you're trying to enlighten. I wish I had a magical solution. So for people who've never heard of this term, I suggest they go and look it up for themselves because I am taking a, a field of psychological research that obviously I'm not a psychologist and I haven't read all the studies and all of that. So I'm just summarizing it in my layman's way and probably getting facts and details wrong. But at any rate, the idea is that when people are confronted with something that is fundamentally against their worldview, that would fundamentally alter or threaten their conception of the world and the way it works and who they are as an individual, something that's really deeply ingrained in their identity, then they will immediately reject that information um, because it must be wrong. You, you can't, it's so threatening to, to one's idea. So, um, so uh, cognitive dissonance is, is that moment where you're confronted with information that you cannot really uh, allow to be right, because if that's right, then I have to change my entire world. And it's, that, it's about that, that dissonance that happens. And the, the, there's interesting psychological mechanisms that people have that, are, that they can use to perform whatever mental gymnastics they need to perform to get rid of that nasty information or to incorporate it in a way that doesn't maybe alter their, their identity. So that's, that's the constant thing that everyone's undergoing. Now, clearly, there are people who undergo transformations of their identity. I mean, probably everyone at some point in their life changes their conception of the world or who they are or the way the world works, or, you know, they go from being a liberal to a conservative or whatever it is, um, whatever that transformation looks like in their case, it, it happens. So clearly, at some point, some information got in there and changed their, their viewpoint. Um, but it's clearly, I, whatever process that is, and I think it can't ever be 
completely understood in all its respects because it's one of those things you can't really consciously examine your consciousness and the way it works because uh, you know that's not that's that's kind of a meta narrative that can't really happen but also um whatever process it is that's happening there uh clearly people are people when they take this this new information on board and and they transform into something different it doesn't happen in the way that people might think it's it's almost never I would say as close to zero, maybe not zero, but close to zero doesn't happen in some confrontational argumentative situation in the heat of the moment where oh, you said this, but, but what about that? And someone goes, oh, right. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. I'll completely change my entire perception. And I mean, that almost never happens, of course, in any situation. But it is perhaps in when someone is confronted with something and they they immediately rejected in the heat of the moment. They go home and they think about it, and you know they they cogitate on, and maybe it comes back to them later. And maybe as they're they're trying to get to sleep one night, they're trying to think it through, and something happens, some process occurs, and they start to take that information on board. And again, that looks different for everyone in different situations, depending on the information. I know because I went through this myself, being someone in some sort of, you know, in the left-right political spectrum and thinking in, in the terms that obviously we're all brought up in, in our indoctrination, and then going into 9-11 truth and all of this, you know, crazy conspiracy information that I'd never really deeply thought about in my entire life. Suddenly this becomes this all in, in, ensuing thing and oh my God, there's really stuff here and I start the website blah, blah, blah. So I've gone through this type of transformation. I imagine most of the people listening to this conversation have similar ideas. The question is, how does that happen? How do you get past someone's cognitive dissonance and psychological defenses against that dissonance? Again, I wish I had a solution for that. All The only thing that I can say proscriptively for people who are interested in trying to change people is to plant seeds, plant seeds everywhere, plant seeds as much as you can, and don't be afraid to share your viewpoint and your idea and your information, and don't be afraid to listen to other people when they reject it, and you know, what, what do they say, and what's their argument, because at the very least, you can take their arguments against what you're saying, and make your argument better, you can see, you can say, oh, well, yeah, that, okay, but, but this, so you can at least construct a better argument, or maybe you'll be convinced yourself to change your, your thinking on something, and maybe that's not a bad thing, maybe, you know, the, let the best information win, but at any rate, plant seeds as much as you can with people, and you never, ever know, you'll never know how they'll flower, uh, and you never know, something you say, or some piece of information you present, it may be tomorrow, maybe 10 years down the line, may in some way trigger something in someone's brain. And I know this because I've been doing this for a decade now. I've obviously reached millions and millions and millions of people on YouTube and other places like that. And so I get feedback all the time from people who say, you know, I never looked at this. I, I got an email today from someone who said, I never thought of 9-11 truth. I never looked into it. But some people were giving me this type of information and I started to look into it. So I was trying to debunk it and I came across your videos and I ended up well, now I, now I understand. So it happens. It does happen. And you can never know in what way that's going to happen. The only thing that people who are concerned and, and interested in trying to get other people's on board with information is to put it out there and let the chips fall where they may. And I know that's difficult for a lot of people because generally when people get in touch with me about this, they're trying to change 
you know, their brother's mind, their father's mind, whatever, some, their loved one, their wife or whatever. It's a very important thing to them to get this person particularly on board. And again, the only thing I can say in those respects is try to give people information that you know they will be interested in at least, will be engaged with. If someone's interested in health, you might want to talk more about those aspects. If someone's interested in politics, you might be interested more in that or history or whatever it is. Everyone has some sort of subject where they may be more amenable to information and, and looking into things. And that's the best thing I can say on an individual level. But on the broader level, I say just scatter the information as far and wide as possible and let the flowers bloom in whatever way they're going to bloom at some point in the future, because it's not, it's not ultimately up to us. It's not our, it's not my responsibility. What happens in your brain and no one should ever feel that as their responsibility. All you can do is try your best to help other, other people understand what you understand. And as I say, another important part of this is to listen and to really try to take on board other people's opinions and information. Listen to them as human beings. Uh, do not treat them as just the other who has that other opinion that's wrong. So I must, you know, I must show them that the way, the truth, and the light. That that's an arrogance that a will immediately turn people off of your message, but b also doesn't serve you well because there there are absolutely things out there that I don't know about that someone could teach me, or there are things that you don't know about that I could teach you, and we have to start having those conversations. And that's why social media is being weaponized, has been weaponized to keep us from having those conversations. It is to keep us in the hate cycle, constantly clicking on outrage, and that destroys any type of productive conversation we could be having. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think that's why it's so important. Anyone out there with a voice and a YouTube channel trying to spread information is so, it's so very important. So many today get caught with the mentality that we need to get out there and do something. You know, I'm tired of just talking about it. And there is logic to that. There's a time when action is needed. And I feel like we're increasingly getting closer to that position. But Nonetheless, no matter what, it never ceases to be valuable to sit back and just put the things out there you want people to hear. Even if you change one person a day, it makes a difference, you know. And I, I, I often find, yeah, like you said, arguments are never the way to have that out because it immediately shuts someone down. But what I often find is that, like you said, you plant the seeds, you plant the seeds. More often than not, it turns out where they don't even remember where they got the seed and they come to you a year later and go, look what I just figured out. So it's like, there's never about right or wrong, right? Don't try to, Oh, I, I was me. I told you that just be happy that they got the information, right. And they're moving forward. It's, it's, it's a battle, an ongoing battle, which I'm sure, you know, so it's, it's so, I think that like just the good end note there is that it's, it's so important to, to continue to get this stuff out there, to continue to point it out, continue to talk about it, do everything you can to get this in front of the people you care about. And even the ones you don't, right. It's important to get it out there for everybody. Well, anything else you want to leave us with, James? It's always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, on the note of Deep State and the incorporation of that into the mainstream media, I'll just point out I wrote an editorial about that in, the, in January 2016. So before all of this, you know, Trump Deep State kind of rhetoric, um, I noticed at that time that they were really trotting this, starting to trot this idea out in the mainstream. So I was writing an article about what does this mean? Maybe this doesn't mean they're not going to present it in the way that it should be presented. So I, I, I did talk about that before. And then secondarily, I'll stress, once again, I've stressed this throughout the conversation, I'll stress it again, all of the concepts and all of the things we've been talking about applies to everyone, yourself and myself and everyone listening. No one is above this. No one is some on some cloud telling other people from the high vantage point of 100% truth and certainty over everything. So check your ego at the door, um, have some humility, 
Um, listen to other people as human beings. This is the way forward. And if there's a way to have those types of really productive conversations in the online, you know, comment space, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but hopefully, we can develop something like that. Or at any rate, perhaps we can find a way to move more into offline, real-world conversations about these topics, because that might be the only way forward. Maybe this technology itself is part of the problem. Wise words, James, as always. Thank you. And I definitely think that we always have to be open to even our own ideas being challenged. I think that's something we have. everyone has a problem with. And it's, you know, be open to anything changing at any time. Question everything, like I always say. Well, thank you, everybody, and everybody out there, stay vigilant, and we'll see you next time.